welcome to Second Act Podcast. As I always say, it is a continuation, yet an evolution, the act of finding meaning, fulfillment, and a deep sense of purpose. In the beginning, I thought this medium would be a place to learn from experiences of others. During what this platform has given us and so many recordings that we have done, the name itself has become synonymous to so many different ideas. For some, it spells hope, for the others, inspiration, and for me today, it purely spells power. It is a place where people come to narrate their experiences, a place of learning and viewing the world from someone else's perspective, a place to share, learn, confess, express, and take away. We at Second Act truly believe that learnings happen through conversations. Second Act podcast. Uh, today I am sitting back to school, back to college, and I'm very excited to do this podcast literally in a live location. Um, you know, I was so used to the virtual world uh, in the last um, 68 weeks that I have been recording the podcast one after the other. This seems unusual, uh, but very exciting. At the same time, you know, I need to read up the lines uh, to introduce um, a very special guest today, uh, Dr. Payal Kumar. Uh, Dr. Payal Kumar uh, is very British, as you can see her. Uh, <laughs> she dresses up in a way, when you hear her, you will uh, know the accent, uh, very much British. And I think that is what she is. So, Dr. Bhagavan, welcome to this podcast. I am so excited to have you. You are the Dean for Management and Research Institute for Indian Hospitality School. Hospitality, again, very close to my heart. We talk a lot about that. And uh, Dr. Kumar, you uh, started off, of course, um, being born in Nairobi, going all the way to the UK. Uh, in the last, um, uh, I think, uh, a job before this, you, you have played various roles also in publication, uh, in women empowerment, uh, in empowering youth now. Um, this journey is so amazing. And um, though I have a full sheet, um, you know, to introduce you, and I'm sure that you have a lot more to tell us. So welcome, and I'm so excited to have you here. <laughs> it's a great privilege. It's really a privilege and uh, an honor. Um, so just regarding my um, the career trajectory, I was once upon a time um, a journalist uh, as I was in Hindustan Times for 10 years. Wow. Um, so while I was working on the desk in the editorial, but I was writing a lot. So I happened to be in, um, in Bihar, so I worked very closely with social activists and women activists and things like that. At the time when it was very, very underdeveloped as a state. And um, then I shifted to Delhi. Um, I, uh, around about 2003, and then I worked in um, Mania Princeton Review as chief editor. Okay. Finally, 2006 to 2012, I was vice president editorial at Sage Publication, which is the well-known academic publisher. Yes. Uh, then I started getting an itch that I need to learn more, <laughs> and then I so I started doing my PhD at Accelerate, and um, 2017 I convocated. Uh, rather than going back into the corporate world, which I thought I would be doing, I kind of became an accidental professor, uh, <laughs> I would say. And <clears throat> since then, I've been in academics. So thank you for mentioning that. And Second Act is all about um, literally taking a chance, which is right on our face sometimes, or by default. And you did it pretty well. Um, uh, you are very unlike a dean. I mean, you know, when you walk in, people say, oh my goodness, I'm, you know, oh, the dean has come. When you start talking to you, 
you are a melted professor. You're just so warm. You're so cuddly. You're so loving. And uh, the difference between UK to Bihar to now here. How are you that person? I mean, I'm really wanting to know. I'm very, very curious. Yeah, so born in Zambia, then we went to Fiji. My father was a doctor who loved international travel, dragged us all over. By the time I was 18, we traveled to 25 countries. So I'm very grateful to him for giving me that global exposure. Um, but when I went to the UK, I mean, my my demeanor, which I'm very aware about, you know, this um, stiff upper lip British type of demeanor, um, which I can't get rid of. And it's okay, it's part of me, right? It was my formative years. Um, so, all my schooling and university education was in the UK um, and I came to India in 1992 because I'd fallen in love with the country, absolutely fallen wow. in love. I never lived here, I used to come here every December to visit relatives, so probably had a very romantic vision of India, uh, but I knew that this was going to be my home. And um, so I've been here ever since. Yeah, it is difficult to adjust. Um, it, as you very rightly said, you know, my, the first impression of me is that, oh, she's very strict and this and that. But later on, my students, whenever they give me feedback, they'll say, like, she's just not strict at all. <laughs> I've even been called a coconut, you know, hard on the exterior, but really, really soft inside. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, Dr. Pal Kumar. Um, you know, I know a little bit about your personal side and I see, and you've mentioned caregiver, right? And I think that really stands out in you. Um, as a woman, you think that comes naturally or is it that something that, you know, you just like caught on because you were given those responsibilities and how did that shape up? So I think, um, you know, since I've lived in the West and in the East, there is a stark difference, you know, in ex societal expectations of women, isn't it? Absolutely. Also being abroad. Yes. Uh, you know, there a woman is, is quite, has a lot of agency and is free to choose whether to work only, not have a family or yes. whatever, you know, there's yes. no stigma involved. But in patriarchal societies, India is one of, uh, one of the most patriarchal societies in the world and in other South Asian countries where our neighbors, I would say the expectations of women is very, very different. I mean, even if you are a working woman, you're still expected to, you know, pretty much um, take care or be in control of what's happening in your house. So since we have a system where women get married and go to the in-laws, so then, you know, between the ages of 25 and 40, I think a lot of women are not just managing work pressure and bosses and targets, but also aging in-laws, you know, young children. I mean, I've been through all of that, you know, and uh, it can be very stressful. So it is right. superimposed upon us. Um, a lot of women, of course, do it out of the sheer love and all that. But, you know, we, I, I find women, a lot of women are so critical. They set such oh, yeah. high standards for themselves, you know, and if they're not being the perfect wife, perfect mother and perfect employee, you know, and how do you manage all that? It's Absolutely. At times we do make mistakes and I think that's okay. <laughs> Absolutely, and I know that um, whenever I've spoken to you, you always talk about learnings from your mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's such an important topic uh, of learning from our mistakes, and I want you to tell us a little bit more because mm -hmm. I know a little bit about you. But I think people who are seeing us, hearing us, yeah. what what did you do really from life lessons, and mm -hmm. how has that shaped you as a person? No, so you've touched a role now with something that I really want to talk about because. Yes. We go throughout life and a lot of us do make mistakes yeah. and it's very natural, you know, and hopefully we um, fall, bounce back up again, dust right. ourselves and move on, which is called resilience. But, you know, uh, if somebody's able to learn from your mistake, how, how wonderful it is. 
So I think in the as a student, I would say the first mistake I made was underestimating myself. So in England, you end up with the 12th standard equivalent is A-levels. I did three A-levels and I got three A-grades. Since I was not expecting three A-grades, I didn't apply for uh, Oxford and Cambridge University, which I would have got into, right? But then yeah. I applied, uh, I got into Lancaster University to do law. And, um, you know, so, so now when I counsel children, a lot of students keep coming to me and we have talks and my own kids, and I'll always say, aim for the stars. Yeah. Aim really high. You may think, okay, I'm only capable of going to B grade college or a B grade job, but aim for A and also aim for C, okay. A, B, and C. Have a backup as well. Yeah. But always aim higher. Shoot for the stars. But do you think them. that comes from underestimation? Do you think the peer, our society, um, you know, people around us also play a role in that? So underestimation, you know, especially with, I do a lot of uh, gender research. Right. So research has shown that, you know, women do tend to underestimate themselves. Like, for example, even when they have had a few jobs, um, they don't negotiate as good a salary as men around the world. Yeah. And I'm talking of like, even, you know, female doctors and lawyers, you know, maybe we do slightly underestimate ourselves or maybe not think that we're right. worth that much in terms of monetary value. So, I mean, I don't know, I mean, I think that's social conditioning that's, and we have to uncondition ourselves, surely. Uh, you know, today I can go and do a very good negotiation, right, for whatever I think I'm worth in the market, but I couldn't do that when I was a 25-year-old. So and, and, yeah, and Dr. Kumar has uh, written a white paper on why women do not uh, seek a higher position or what stops us from our own growth, and I want to talk a little bit more about that now. So, You're absolutely right. So yeah. this was um, a project uh, sponsored by Wiki and also my Indian School of Hospitality. So we looked at why there's not enough women coming up in the hospitality right. sector in terms of leadership positions. So there's a lot of reasons. I mean, it, it, there are socialization, there's structural issues like the employer could be very paternalistic and say, okay, maybe this is not a woman's role. You know, so there's lo lots of factors. But one factor definitely is women themselves like maybe uh, so what, what i discovered in hospitality is that if you really want to get up the ladder hierarchy the ladder you need to be able to relocate you need to travel you need to move out you know this is right. one segment that really requires so, that yeah. so and if you don't then then don't ask for promotion it's as simple as that you've got to meet the male colleagues shoulder to shoulder so for example when i was in uh, media in the print media where a lot of the work happens overnight you know because the, all the news keeps coming into the newsroom now if you don't do the night shift which is the major shift which brings out the morning paper that you read uh you know then you're not you yeah. know, you're not taking that challenge on you know so you can't say i'll only do the morning shift but then i need a promotion you know it doesn't work that way you've got to kind of make your own road um and take up the challenges on an equal basis I think you've got me thinking now because um, I remember that, uh, you know, when I was um, heading loyalty for Hyatt, mm -hmm. I went up to my boss and I said, um, you know, I really want to try to be a GM. Mm -hmm. And the first question he asked me was, will you be okay to get located to, let's say, a Raipur? Or, um, you know, a, exactly. a, 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 not that these are places which are like way and beyond, this is a city. But even that got me thinking, am I okay to go to a dharamshala or, you know, a, a location which is right outside Delhi without my family, exactly. my kids were still studying, and am I ready to do it? And the answer was no. 
um, like yeah, you said, that's you okay. Know. It's individual choices. Yes. Um, on the you know, I've also been through um, decades in which I would search when I do a job search. Let's say I have three offers, I would look at which is geographically located near my house, so I can get back back to my kids faster, mm-hmm. right? To get their homework done. And you know, so when an employer looks at why uh, we talk about employer branding and they put it out there, you know, that we want people to join us, talent to join us and not somebody else. But they don't think from a woman's mind. And I've spoken to a lot of other women. They say, yeah, for us, the biggest factor is, is it close to my house? <laughs> you know, never mind the company culture and all yeah. this razzmatazz that goes on in the background, you know. So there are um, particular women, woman lens. That, so if you do have to juggle your family and your um, workplace, it's, it's a difficult balance. It's, it's quite difficult, but possible to do if you have the right support. So I think you've touched upon your student life and that one thing that came out of that student life. The next phase. So the next phase is um, the work work life balance. Um, so when I started working in the corporate sector, of course we make mistakes and hopefully Absolutely. we learn from them. Um, few hiring mistakes I made in the beginning, but then I learned very quickly that you need to hire for uh, motivation, not skills. Always, always, you know, because you could get somebody slightly less skilled, but if they're motivated enough, you they have to be mentorable, right? Yeah. I mean, I did my PhD on negative mentoring experiences because mentoring can be negative for the wow. mentor or the protege, right? So, um, the, if the person is mentorable, you can get them to a very high level. So that was a big learning for me. Uh, the other learning I had was as I went higher up the chain as when I was vice president and hiring managers and stuff. Um, there I realized you should not be too watertight in your hiring framework. So for example, if I had a, a team of uh, people in the editorial department, mm-hmm. I would say that, you know, they need to be an MPhil and PhD in excellent English, there'll be certain parameters. But once in a while, you should be flexible enough to look at some outliers. So I'll just give you an example. I won't take the name of the candidate. Let's, let's call him Vijay, right? Um, so he came and he didn't, his resume was such that he didn't fit the parameters, but he'd done very well in the English language test, which is quite difficult. Okay. And so my manager came to me saying, ma'am, he doesn't fit. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I said, no, 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 I, I want to interview him, you know. Right. And it turned out this boy was working in a BPO and he kept saying, ma'am, you know, I don't, I don't have a master's, but please take me. And I thought I'd take a chance on him. And he did so brilliantly in our training and he got promoted in a year. And today he's a big shot in a very big publishing company. And this is one story wow. I've, I've done that for about, you know, several people in my professional life. So which has made me realize that framework is there as a guidance for employing. You know, but wow. you should look at outliers too, definitely. The but diamonds. Then, <laughs> yeah, but then what stops us? Why are we so processed women? I mean, you know, because this is unique, this is unique, this is literally like, you know, you're giving somebody a chance, believing in something. In fact, we're so process driven that at times we don't go with our intuition, Mm. you know, we go because we're trained that way, processes, targets, to fit this framework. So there's this book called Blink, which talks exactly about that. Um, You know, like if somebody punches you in the face, the first thing you do is blink, right? Which is your intuition. It's like... So um, even, you know, so for example, I think I've built up intuition in terms of team members quite a lot over the years. Um, and one of the other things, I, I, just to give you as an example, there was this one a potential candidate 
who I just did not feel at all would fit the team. You know, but I couldn't put my finger on it in a very objective manner. So if I had to write a report right. on the interview, you know, I was like, what do I say? You know, because she kind of seems to fit everything on paper, but I know she's not going to fit in. So, but since I couldn't write anything objectively, I had to take her on. And it was disastrous, you know, within, um, she didn't, not, not even six months confirmation, we had to let her go in four months. Mm -hmm. So I, I am a great believer in you need to follow your intuition at times, not just processes and, you know, I don't know whether you agree with me or not. Absolutely, I agree. And I am that person, I can go with my gut feel. And yeah. in fact, I have a very popular sentence at home, what is your stomach saying? Exactly. So for everything exactly. I have, what's your stomach saying? So I also tell my children when they are stuck and I say, ask your stomach. There is an answer. Right. I believe in that. So, yeah. It's worked for me. <laughs> so um, what I hear is a lot of work with women. You also give a lot of attention to um, the inner voice or mm -hmm. connections um, and also have a little inner child, which is always telling you to um, you know, also, um, you know, care for your own self because I've seen yeah. that uh, also in our retreat and um, you're very uh, unique in a perspective of not only giving to others but also taking our time and that is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Did that realization of self-care come recently or you always believed in it? Very recently because, um, I mean, I'm a young 56-year-old, I hope you know what I'm <laughs> You know, I, I don't know where the last few decades have gone, you know, by, as I said, caregiving of the elderly in my home, the kids were young, and homework, and parties, and you know, all the stuff you have to do with kids, and there's, there's swimming lessons, and dance lessons, just, and then you're working in a, in a high-level corporate environment, you know, so, and then there's a lot of international traveling, so it just go, you know, before you know it, 20 years have gone by, and um, the PhD, Entering the PhD world was the first time in many, many decades that it was a, it was a me thing. That's something that I had wanted to do, never had time to do it when my kids started growing up a bit. Yeah. And um, now I've started consciously making time out for myself. I'm still a workaholic, but I'm not doing, you know, like 24-7 is what I used to do once upon a time. I mean, I'm working on, I've published 12 books, I'm working on another four. So that kind of wow. gives yeah. me a lot of adrenaline. I love my work, I love my teaching, I love my research. But I will definitely make time for myself, for my family, be it walking out with the dog or going for a retreat. I went for a retreat with you and Goa, it was amazing, with the coffee beans group. Um, you know, so... I think we need to find spaces that me time, especially for women who are, who are I'm not saying men are not juggling, but I yeah. feel that in patriarchal societies there is a lot of pressure on women in various ways. But you need to find out that time, that me time, especially Arjuna, if you're an introvert, mm -hmm. because extroverts thrive on being with people. So true. introverts need that me time, even if it's an hour a day, just to sit alone and have a lot of thoughts going around in your head, do you know what I mean? And I'm inclined towards introversion. Really? <laughs> I am. I oh am. my what goodness. You <laughs> what do you <laughs> I mean, yeah, people who are seeing her now, you know, seeing her talk and of course all her thoughts, where is this introvert? We, 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 we <laughs> must check on that. <laughs> okay, so uh, now you work with a lot of young people, a lot mm -hmm. of youth around. Um, right. Is there um, anything that has come up ever since you've started to uh, you know work in universities or work with younger children because at one hand i feel that uh, they they give us a lot of impetus on and a lot of knowledge and awareness and opens our mind as well um, because they have so much to give but at the same time they have so much to also take that uh, 
sometimes I feel that they're so muddled. Um, you know, they are so all over. But what is your learning with them? What is what do you think of youth of you know today? Yeah, yeah so I mean, I, I don't know how many hundreds of students I've taught um, UD, PD, MBA, and I have right. PhD students also. Um, so it, it breaks my heart, and I've seen this so many times when somebody does, you know, say four or five years engineering, and because they've been pushed into it by oh, peers yeah. are doing it, or the parents expected to do it, and um, and then they realize this is not for them. Then they do another two, three years banking preparation or something completely different. So you know, eight years just goes by, and I, I see it again and again, and, and I find it heartbreaking. You know, honestly speaking, Arjuna, I feel. And I tell the gen, uh, whoever I meet very strongly, follow your heart. When it comes to studies and job, follow your heart. Because job, don't forget, you're going to be doing probably for many years. Studies also you'll be doing for many years, right? Um, so I started my LLB at Lancaster University. Didn't like it, passed it. But then I switched completely to something that I wanted to learn about, which was world religions. And I have two degrees in, relig in religious studies, can you believe? Wow. Which is not really something that... Job-oriented or anything yeah. like that, you know. Um, and yet here I am. I'm, I'm a dean, so it didn't, you know, um, hinder me in any way. Yeah. I would imagine, right? So that's like I always tell um, youngsters: follow your heart when it comes to studies. Um, regarding choices, if we talk about choices, they have so many choices, which I feel at times they don't. You and me are pre-Google age. There was yeah. no Google. Yeah. There was no digital library on your fingertips. There was no media that you could have, yeah. you know apps which will tell you about the news so when i interview students um over the last few years for admission i'm astounded by their lack of knowledge about the world around them in terms of news when you have 24 7 hour channels when you have news yeah. streaming all the time and you ask them a simple dk question about you know what's happening in britain or us or nato currently and they're like but they oh, tell you about crypto and NFT. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. They'll tell you what's the latest on Insta. And it's like, <laughs> they'll tell, tell you all about Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Um, yes, but um, at the same time, I think um, when you're working with them, I'm sure that there is a learning that comes out for you yourself. Absolutely. So, what has that been for you? Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. D digitally, they're very well connected, possibly more than you and I. Um, I've learned a lot from my own children, I would yeah. say. Mm -hmm. My daughter, she's a 28-year-old now, a young adult. I've learned a lot from her. My son's 24. They think differently. Um, but one thing that I have learned, which I really like, and that is that I don't see them having friends in any particular kind of you know, a regional or caste or group, do you know what I mean? Like friends yeah. are across the board, They're across the region. Much more inclusive, yes. I think. And yes. I think that's a beautiful sign. So I think that's something we should learn from. Secondly, they're not as, you know, um, so private about their lives as our generation used to be, right? Because everything's out there, isn't it? Insta, Facebook, I'm not so much Facebook these days for them, but yeah. they keep putting their lives out everywhere. So, and we were like, you know, yeah, ni batana, ni batana. <laughs> so maybe that's something so, we can learn from them too. Openness. I think that's great. And I think uh, for me as well, I think I've learned to be more inclusive from my daughter as well, because mm -hmm. she asked me, you do retreats for women, you do retreats for men. And what about others? <laughs> and that really like pushed me Absolutely. to a corner to say, oh my Absolutely. God, yeah, 
I did not ever think. So I started to then know this world, you know, Lovely. what are other people and you know whom we don't include in our lives. Absolutely. So in fact, talking, um, I, I do a lot of research in diversity and inclusion, but it's very important to understand that diversity doesn't necessarily mean inclusion. So let's say, for example, an organization has some amazing diversity policies and they, you know, welcome all types of employees. Um, from even neurologically, you know, challenged employees, let's right. say. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't mean inclusion. It doesn't mean that people will have lunch with them at the canteen. Yes. You know what I mean? So I think people need to understand that these are two yeah. very different things. You need diversity to lead to inclusion, but it doesn't necessarily do so. Yeah. Right? So I think I was talking to one of them and he said that, you know, the infrastructure can always be built for us. But mm. what about the hearts of it? Exactly. We see that yeah now the toilets are more you know neutral. Mm -hmm. There are no gender specific. Uh, you know you also have like you know like a dining area which everybody includes you. But at the same time you're still aloof. You're still something doesn't connect. Exactly. Right? exactly. And I think there is change come, but I think we are still very biased. Well, I think we are, yeah. especially in India. Uh, we have a lot of uh, belief in silos, mm -hmm. and you know um, I think we need to get out of. But I'm glad of the youth of the country and this is for you guys, um, you know, uh, the younger lords. So thanks for opening our minds, our brains, uh, our hearts as well. And uh, thanks for making it more real, more loving and more inclusive world. So that's great. Um, Dr. Bhai Kumar, this is a second act podcast. We haven't spoken about your second act and our second act um, has various meanings. Uh, uh, the meaning that I hold most close to my heart is that there is always a purpose behind what we are as a pe as people, what we are trying to achieve as you know uh, as humans. True. And sometimes we just forget that purpose or don't pay enough attention to that purpose of life, purpose of being, purpose of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, through Second Act Podcast, this is the real intention of bringing in your learning or you know your Second Act, which can help somebody else get inspired for their story. Sometimes a conversation, a book, you know, something that we hear or say or just about, you know, some motivational talk changes our life, right? And it comes mm -hmm. from a story of real people. True. So second act is all about that. And so what is your second act? So I think, um, first of all, again, I want to thank you for this platform because I think, you know, just, just recently in Academy of Management Learning and Education, AMLE, there's a beautiful um, research paper where they're saying that leaders should talk in narratives. They should mm -hmm. actually tell their stories, right? Yeah. And I think it's very important. So I might have given a few yes. instances That's here and there, but even if it helps one person out there, you know, I'm really happy. Yes. Um, second act kind of reminds me of the, the very famous book by Simone de Beauvoir, which is The Second Sex. Okay. Um, we read it a generation ago. I hope women, young women today are reading it because it's a timeless book and it tells you about how women are conditioned from childhood to almost be like an appendage of men, right? And men are also conditioned that way. Yeah. I mean, I think we've moved a lot um, as we have in our, in our lives, but there's still a lot more to go in terms of, I still can't believe that we're talking about gender pay equity in this age. You know, when know. you do the same work, you're skilled, as skilled, so of course you get the same pay, surely yeah. as everyone. Um, but yeah, my own personal second act, um, difficult to say. So if we look at the, the four uh, stages of life according to Hinduism, so we have, it's kind of fictitionally divided, say a man lives 100 years, a man or a woman lives yeah. 100 years, first 25 years you're a student, 
the next 25 years you're the housemaker so i explained that it's the, the household can be a very, very stressful time when you're working, plus taxes, yeah. plus children, plus elderly. So I think I'm kind of now moving into the third phase where it's a little bit more me time, a little bit more time for reflection, a little bit more time for thinking about things beyond uh, family because the whole world is a family. Um, so I have linked up together with some amazing professors around the world. I'm in a, in a lovely group which is called management um, and spirituality and religion wow. so i'm in the executive committee over there oh. lovely group of professors who believe that you know we need to teach um, our students about ethics and spirituality spirituality is basically what is not religion but it's about the belief that we're all interconnected right and we're also interconnected nice. with the divine nice. so i'm kind of pushing my thoughts i've even done written a few things uh, written a few articles in that line so I get the feeling that that's going to be my second act, I'm moving in that direction. So beautiful. And I think there's lots um, in the next one, which is coming as well. May you live uh, 100 plus years <laughs> and keep inspiring. So that's great. So I want to um, uh, have some rapid fire questions with you. Oh, nothing embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about your second act. So it's okay. <laughs> Uh, it is something else that you discover about yourself today, who knows, you know, so through these yeah. questions also, you yeah. know, so every conversation we find out a little bit more about us, sure. don't we? Sure. So it's, um, I want to ask you quick questions. Um, the movie that stands out for you? The Piano. Oh, lovely. I don't know if you've seen it. I've seen Beautiful it. Story. Beautiful. Um, I think it's not the piano, it's piano, right? It's just yeah, piano. it's the piano. Uh, okay. Uh, written so many, I mean, you've published so many books. Uh, how about writing? How about writing? So, uh, yeah, I've done uh, 12 academic books. That's the point. Right? They're a little bit boring academic books. Yeah. Working on a, another four with various uh, professors around the world. One of them is on asynchronistic and synchronistic teaching. But the book that I've written, which is very dear to me, is um, Asian mentoring, you know, because that, that's the first time I've done this with Professor Pavan Budwar, who's the Dean of Aston University. Nice. And I love this because a lot of the handbooks earlier were about the Western models of mentoring, but we've taken chapters from Pakistan, Bangladesh, India, Thailand, you know, so I, I hold that book very dear. So the country that you aspire to go to? I'd love to go to Bhutan just to understand why they have the happiness quotient every year, the highest <laughs> in the world. You know, like what are they doing right over there? You know? So we'd love to go there. Okay. Um, the fun of the fun quotient in bio. Uh, fun quotient. <laughs> Being with the dog. You know, my my kids thrust this dog upon us. He's a Lhasa tiny little dog. But yeah, I love being with him, and he jumps on us when we come home and welcomes us. Of course, I love watching films. I like uh, having solitary walks where I'm in nature, reflecting. Beautiful. I like the badminton, so that's me. Okay, that's so That's cool. the fun part. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so an ideal romantic day. Ideal romantic day would be someone who says, I'm giving you money, go, go, spend, <laughs> go spend your time in a spa, I <laughs> then go shopping, <laughs> then we'll have dinner. <laughs> I think the um, the definition of romance also changes in every quarter. <laughs> what we thought in the first twenty five changes in the next twenty five, and like literally is like about like give me my space Absolutely. and give me money. So in fact, I happened to see a very old couple recently okay. uh, sitting by the side of a swimming pool, and 
the gentleman got up and he was very wobbly on his feet and I was thinking, why is he not using a stick? And then the wife gets up and she's very wobbly on her feet and they both held each other and walk like walking sticks. <laughs> so yes, the definition changes. Okay, so the biggest life learning? Uh, it's okay to swim against the tide. Oh, I've done it throughout my life. Everybody has said, don't do this, Paya, don't do that. Don't go to from England to India in 1992. At that time, nobody was swimming in that direction. Of course, now many people are coming back to India. But I, I've always been a heart person, followed my heart. Um, you know, you get people who follow the head all the time or heart. It, it could be right or wrong, depending on the context. But I think that it's okay to swim against the tide. Beautiful. Uh, one thing that you will like to tell women of today. Be heard be heard, especially in the boardroom. I mean, I, I made the mistake like many young women probably make. In the boardroom, there's a lot of, you know, talk and counter talks and everybody trying to pitch their ideas and then cut down the other person's ideas. Uh, so you, know, you tend to be quiet, don't be quiet. You've got to be out there, you've got to be in it, you've got to ask questions. And often, you know, try and be the first person to ask the question, which will get a whole load of conversations going. You can direct conversations, but you've got to be heard. Um, you would have heard the concept of man, mansplaining, which is when yeah. men condescendingly tell you something about which you very well know about, you would be an expert in that field. But there's another thing that happens, especially in boardroom meetings, is where women are kind of shouted down, they're not heard, they're trying to say something, but you know, male voices could be louder. Um, I've been in that situation many times and I've seen other women in corporate, there, but we've discussed this and they said, yeah, we okay. face this. But I make sure, I even put my hand up. Well, I wave my hand around until I'm heard. You know, once I, um, these two very senior C-suite leaders were having this back and forth with each other and a very heated argument and I kept trying to say something and I tried for 10 minutes and I, they were just not even looking in my direction, never mind hearing me. And I just put my hand up and kept waving it. And I just, and wow. then finally they looked at me and I said, <laughs> didn't you hear me? And they said, no, actually, we didn't hear you. I said, well, hear me now. My point is... <laughs> That's rare. That's very it's rare. Got to be done. Uh -huh. It's got to be done. Okay, the last one then. No, I think last two ones. Okay. Um, uh, one thing for men of today. <laughs> <laughs> I had to catch you somewhere. <laughs> you got me on this one. Um, be equal partners with your female partner. With wow. your life that's partner. a good one. I think that's so important. Yeah. I mean, it cannot, we cannot carry on like this as we are in India. That the, I'm not saying it happens with everybody, but with a lot of families, that the woman takes care of the family and working and whatever. It's too much. You know, be equal partners in everything and be encouraging. You'll have so, a happy life. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for that. And my last question to you is that since you're an ardent fan of learning for life, mm. what's your next learning going to be? No, I don't know, but I'm just very open to learning. I'm a sponge. I can learn from my driver, my maid, my kids. It doesn't have to be somebody above you in terms of learning. As long as you're open to, you know, some people have very high learning orientations. So with me, is I don't leave jobs. I leave an industry, you know, if I feel I'm not learning. So education is now my fourth industry. So I've been through journalism. I've been through study abroad. I've been through book publishing. And this is my fourth. So... I don't know what I'm going to learn, but I'm extremely open to it. So it's, it's up to the divine. <laughs> so here was Dr. Parkumar.
she is definitely somebody who inspired us through this conversation. There was so much that came out for me personally and uh, it also gave me a lot of hope that uh, you don't get bored in life as long as you're ready to learn. Um, so thank you so much. Thank, uh, you. thank you for this wonderful podcast and uh, being on my second act. Uh, may, may you see many, many more second acts so that we can have another conversation because this was not enough, I have to tell you. This was just like, you know, a drop in the ocean to something. <laughs> yeah. So thank you everyone for listening and hearing and uh, thank you for uh, joining us at this show. Fabulous. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs>